Welcome back to the Go in the Match podcast. Today I'm joined by a Dortmund fan, Uli Hesse. Uli is a former columnist for ESPN and a match-going Dortmund fan. He also wrote a book on Dortmund, Building the Yellow Wall, which was the football book of the year in 2019. Uli, thanks for giving me time today, mate, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, Mike, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure. <laughs> okay, so I want you to take us back to your childhood and following Dortmund. Where were you born and how did your love for Dortmund begin? Uh, you know, I was born in Dortmund, actually. Um, just a couple of miles um, north of the ground, actually. Um, so, and normally when, when people ask me about this, I always say that, you know, when, like me, you're born in Dortmund, you know, there's no question about what, what sport you follow and which team you follow, because, um, um, to be honest, we don't have much else, yeah. <laughs> you know, in Dortmund. But... There's a twist to the story, which I don't always tell because it's a bit complicated. But okay. since you ask, um, <laughs> we moved away from Dortmund when I was um, about a year old. And um, we moved to a smaller town nearby called Una. It's, it's just 12 miles. But, you know, when you're a kid, 12 miles is a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. If you want to go somewhere. So, um, so I grew up slightly outside of Dortmund and my involvement with the club was more through my brother. Um, my brother is 12 years older than I am. And um, he was always my big hero, you know? Um, and uh, he, was one, he was one of the original Dortmund fans. Well, he was one of the Dortmund fans who set up the very first uh, supporters club in Dortmund oh, wow. in the early 70s. Um, and he traveled um, everywhere with the club uh, back when they were in the second division. So in the early 70s. And, you know, sometimes I would, you know, my brother wouldn't be there and I would ask my mother, you know, where's Klaus? And, and she would say, well, he's traveling with Borussia Dortmund. And, you know, I, I didn't really know what it meant, you know, but it sounded yeah. fantastic. So I thought, oh, when I'm growing up, I want to travel with Borussia Dortmund, whatever exactly that means. <laughs> so it was, it was really through my brother. I mean, most, most in, in the town where I grew up, almost everybody was a Dortmund supporter. Um, although we had, you know, we had a couple of Bayern fans, as you, as you would, a yeah. couple of Gladbach fans, because the 70s, you know, Gladbach was the, the big team in Germany, um, and a few Schalke fans. But it was because it was only 12 miles, and most everybody else was a Dortmund fan. So that, and in combination with, sort of, you know, my family history, my brother, that was um, how I became a Dortmund fan. Yeah. So can you remember like the first match you went to or does anything oh, yeah. stand out? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, um, I, I, I actually wrote a very small piece about it um, back in, when was that? God, it was in the 90s because I was writing for a Dortmund fanzine at okay. the time. Um, <clears throat> so I saw my first game at the ground shortly before my um, 12th birthday. So this is late January, 1977. Um, as I said, normally, when you're from Dortmund, you normally go to the games earlier. Um, um, but, you know, since we live 12 miles out of side of Dortmund, I didn't know how to go to the games. Mm -hmm. Now, you probably say, well, your brother could have taken you with him. But no, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, in the mid-70s, he was like, you know, 23, 24. And that was... Probably that would have been his worst nightmare, you know, taking his kid brother to a game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but my sister, she lived in Dortmund at the time. She'd moved away. She lived in Dortmund. And so it was sort of a birthday present for me. Okay. So we went to a game. Um, um, my sister, her boyfriend at the time, and me. And of course, we went to the, to the south stand, you know, to the terrace. So I had a small... Folding chair, is that the word for it? Folding chair, because yeah. you, you, know, you need something to stand on. Now, the, the punchline of that first game is it was Dortmund's first season back in the Bundesliga. You know, they'd been uh, relegated in 72. Mm -hmm. They won promotion in 76. So 76, 77, that was the first season back in the Bundesliga. And they weren't, they weren't very good, of course. They were a promoted team. They did okay. Um, and I was very, very excited. And my sister was really worried about me, uh, you know, not because of, you know, the crowd and the people and everything. She was, she was really worried that I would be disappointed, <laughs> you know, uh, because I'd only seen football on television. Um, so all the way to the ground, she kept telling me that, 
you know, it's, it's not like football on television. You know, she kept saying that on, on television, you only see the highlights, you know, but real football games can be very boring. You know, yeah, all night you sometimes mean. there's nothing happening for like 30 minutes. So, so by the time we got to the ground, I was convinced it would be a nil nil draw. And the final scoreline was 7-2. <laughs> were nine goals. It was, it was almost nonstop excitement. It was, almost, it was actually better than any highlight reel I'd ever seen on television. Yeah. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was just fantastic. Uh, actually, it was not long ago. I think only a couple of years ago that the club issued a, um, a DVD collection with, with match highlights. And that was the first time since 1977 that I saw the game again. Awesome. And it was... Um, God, what I, didn't, what I didn't remember was the state of the pitch. You know, this was late January, and you're probably too young to remember that, but back in the 70s and 80s, they would play on, on you know, it was, it was a mud bath, yeah. really. You know, they wouldn't even start games today on a pitch like that. Uh, it was really astonishing to see that. And it reminded me of, you know, going to games back then, and yes, about that the conditions were often very, very rough and, and totally unlike today. So when you went to your first game then and you watched Dortmund, was that just you hooked then? You just fell in love with them and there was no other club that you would ever support? Yeah, but I'd been a, been a fan before. I mean, I went to the game because I wanted to see yeah. Dortmund, you know. We could have gone... I mean, Dortmund is in, in the rule. I, I, well, I sometimes... Well, if people don't quite know where that is, you know, the core area, the rural area in Germany, I sometimes tell them it, it, it's a bit like Greater London. Okay. Uh, only you can travel much easier from one place to another because of all those German motorways. Yeah. And it's also a bit like Greater Land because of the large number of clubs that you have. Mm. You know, when, when I grew up and Dortmund were playing away, I would just go to some other club. You know, Bochum is 30 minutes away or Duisburg or Essen or even Oberhausen or whatever. So um, in the area where we live, where I grew up, it was quite easily easy to go to a Bundesliga game. Yeah. So it was not the Bundesliga game as such that I wanted to experience. It was, you know, I wanted to go and see a Dortmund game. Dortmund. Um, I, I remember we, we just a couple of months ago, we did a story, and I worked for a magazine, and we had the idea of um, asking people, asking readers to send us their scrapbooks. Uh, do you know what that is? Normally when you're a kid and you, you would, you know, have scrapbooks, you know, collect stuff and like autograph cards or tickets yeah. or match oh, reports or whatever. <clears throat> and, uh, and I volunteered because I, I still had my scrapbook uh, mm. and that started, you know, and uh, so I had started the Dortmund scrapbook way before I saw my first game. So, because, you know, you, you can, um, I, I'd totally forgotten about it, but when you open the scrapbook, you can see the, 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 the newspaper clippings and everything. So they're all, I don't, I don't know, from 76 or 75 or whatever. So the, the yellow wall that you have at Aduna Park is very similar to the cop that we have at Anfield. So obviously you can see it from the atmosphere is amazing. I've never been myself, but it's always something I've always wanted to do. What, what is the main reason do you feel that makes the atmosphere so unique? Um, well, one thing is quite obviously that such huge terraces have become, well, rare does not even begin you know, to describe it. I mean, I mean, you come from a country where they're practically extinct, you know? Yeah. So, yeah um, I mean, I, I, I traveled to Celtic a couple of years ago when they reintroduced safe standing, you know? And, uh, but of course, there was, you know, no comparison to what the jungle used to be like, you know, at, at Celtic Park. So that's, that, that's, of course, one thing just to have in this time and day, just to have a huge terrace like this is, is you know, almost unheard of. Um, you know, it's always described as, as the biggest in Europe. And I always wonder, well, which one is bigger? You know, I, I actually can't think of a bigger one. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that, that's, of course, one thing. The other thing is that, um, you know, Dortmund is one of those places where, and now I'm, I'm not sure if, 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 if you can really compare it to Liverpool because, um, <laughs> you know, I, I know that football means a lot to Liverpool and I've been there a couple of times and I know how, how passionately people feel about football. But yeah. there's a couple of other things you would think about when you think about Liverpool. <sighs> you know, um, I don't know, music, for instance, or whatever. 
or the harbour, or you know, there's yes. lots of things people think about when they hear the word Liverpool. But when you hear Dortmund, you only think about football. Yeah. And, and I think everybody who comes from the, from Dortmund is is quite aware of that, that we don't really have anything else that you know people will know about the city. So um, so the club really means a lot to um, the people. Well, it's that kind of city where, where the club really means. An awful lot. Also, because unlike Liverpool, of course, we don't have a second club. You know? Yeah, so it's like the people of the city, they're so passionate and they're so uh, proud of their football. It's, it's their be all and end all. You touched on um, safe standing there in the Bundesliga and specifically yeah. at Dortmund. Do you feel, I know there's a couple of clubs, smaller clubs in England that are trying to start getting that in there now. Um, there's been discussions at Anfield, but obviously it's a very sensitive topic for us. Yeah, Do you yeah. feel that that would help the atmosphere with the English clubs? Um, yeah, well, well, certainly, certainly it would. I mean, it's, well, one thing is, you know, one thing is we in Germany, we don't say safe standing. We mm. say standing. Just stand. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, because um, it's always something, people sometimes ask me about this and it, it's kind of, so in, what, what happened in Germany in the Bundesliga was not, sort of that, I don't know, we reintroduced standing or whatever. It just never went away. Yeah. So the, um, um, well, the ground was rebuilt, of course, you know, in large. I mean, when you watch the south, this, the, the yellow wall today, um, when you watch really closely, of course, you have to watch when the stadium is empty. You will see that it's actually two yellow walls or two stands because um, they added the second tier in, in, in the 90s when the ground was, you know, when Dortmund were, you know, <laughs> close to world domination or so they thought and, and, and uh, built this really huge thing. But the lower part of the, of the South Stand is still exactly the way it was when I first went there in 1977. You know, the crush barriers are still there. The rails are still there. The steps, of course. So it's, um, it's just, it, it didn't go away. Um, but of course we never had a traumatic experience. You know, we never had a Hillsborough or a Heisel or a disaster like that. So it's, I'm always very reluctant to, you know, to make a statement about that, to say, all I can say is that uh, in all honesty, um, I'm not sure I would, I would go and see my club every time I can, if, if I wouldn't be allowed to stand, if you know what I mean. Mm, no. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not the money, you know, it's, it's not that I couldn't afford a, a ticket for the seated area, but it's, it's just, for me, it doesn't feel right. You know, it doesn't feel yeah. like it's not the way you should watch football. Uh, I always feel, I mean, now I'm a professional journalist, so I often sit in the press then. And it's always, it always feels strange, you know, it's, it's always a bit artificial or um, it's just not the way I would want to watch a game. Yeah. So I've often, you know, I've often, Often when I'm, I'm at, when I'm asked to cover Dortmund professionally, I would just they will send me a press ticket, but I will take, have my season ticket and just stand on the on the south stand, you know, um, because that's that's the way I like it, you know. Um, I think the uh, I think the problem we have at Anfield is even though there is seating in the cop, people still stand, so yeah. that that's where the the problem is, you know. So the in my opinion, I'm, I'm most, I'd probably say I can speak for most Liverpool fans. The safest thing would be to put safe standing in there, or as you just say, standing, because people stand anyways, even though there's seats, which makes it more, more dangerous. So I think a lot of the English fans um, look at teams like Dortmund, even Celtic, and you know, when you see it, that it works and it works so well, but not only that yeah. it works, but it helps the atmosphere as well. Sorry, that's actually how the Celtic fans sold it yeah. to the club and the league. They told me that, um, um, that they went to the club and said exactly what you said. They said, listen, we have these seats, but nobody uses them. Everybody's standing anyway. Yeah. And it's only a question of time until somebody falls down and we have a serious accident here. So it's actually safer to, you know, to have a standing area. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, you can probably look this up somewhere on the internet. I, I once did for, I mean, Admittedly, it was for a derby against Schalke, so it was an extra special game. I took two English fans, uh, well, not friends, but acquaintance, people I knew quite well. Uh, I took them to a game 
and uh, there were two Villa fans. Um, oh. They were fascinated with me. And one of them said that um, that was absolute. well, of course, they loved it. And they said it was absolutely fantastic. And one of them said that all seater stadia ruined the atmosphere at football games for him. And he said, it's only when you, I mean, he, he, he sort of, in a way he said, it's only when you then go to a place like Dortmund that you realize how, you know, how bad the atmosphere has become. And, and yeah. of course he went to the Holty end as a kid and, you know, when Villa still had um, a terrace of their own. And, yeah. Wow. So you've wrote multiple books on uh, German football, but Building the Other Wall, which was voted the football book of the year in 2019, how did that come about? And for people that may not know or may not have read it, what can people expect when they read that book? Uh, how, how did it come about? This is a good question. I mean, it's, uh, there was a, it's, it's a long story, actually. I, I, um, I wrote a book about the history of German football in English called Tour. Um, then I wrote a couple of German books and um, then I worked on an English book with a friend of mine, Paul Simpson, who used to edit 442 magazine. And that, then after that, I thought I should do a book again in English. I would like to do that. Um, and the idea that I had at the time, which was seven years ago, you know, there, there was this buzz around Dortmund and, uh, you know, with Jürgen Klopp as the manager and a really young team. Uh, a not very expensive team, you know, going to the Champions League final. And, and I had an idea to, to do a Dortmund book then. And for various reasons, it did, didn't, didn't work out. It uh, didn't happen. Then I did a book about Bayern Munich um, that was quite well received. And after that, I thought, well, maybe let's go back to the Dortmund idea again. And um, yeah, I think because the Bayern book was quite well received, we, we found a, a publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so, so I did that. I mean, what people, well, and the interesting, well, not interesting, not necessarily interesting, it, um, but what, what I found out was that um, it, was, it was totally different doing the Dortmund book um, to most of the other football books I'd done before. Not so much because it's my club, yeah. but because, um, you know, when you do a book like Bayern, which is more or less a straight club history, um, and they're a very, very successful club, of course. You kind of, um, you, you kind of almost don't have any time to write about, you know, how do, how do you want to, how, well, to, to put the atmosphere in the book or background or because you're just going from one final to the next, you know, from yeah. one trophy to the next because so much has happened in Bayern's history. So the Dortmund book is totally different. This is more a, it's, it, it's in a way it's still a club history, but it's also history of the people and the city and, and the region and the relationship between the club and the people and the region. Uh, it's, um, <clears throat> it's actually, it's, I think, I like to think it's a football book in which the fans are almost as important as, yeah. uh, as the players are or the coaches are, which is in a way, um, which befits the club, you know, because um, the the interesting thing is that Dortmund have become, um, you know, I hesitate to say this uh, coming from the city myself, but it's become a bit of a cult club, you know, a hipster's yeah. favorite club. And we don't always like that, but that's the way it is. And, and, and that happened even though um, the club aren't hugely successful, you know, um, it's not like they're winning the league every year or, uh, and haven't won a European trophy since 1997. And still, people outside of Germany seem to really like the club. And um, that has to do with, with things that you know, go beyond what happens on the pitch. Mm. So I, I like, try to explain that or highlight that or write about that. Yeah, so it's not just about the football, but it's about the city and the people that live in it and the whole culture and everything as well. I think you wrote in there as well, I believe, about um, when Dortmund were quite financially struggling. <coughs> did, did Bayern Munich give them a loan at, at some point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that story. Uh, um, for some reason, that, that story seems to fascinate uh, people, people, especially in England, but people from abroad. Um, yeah, Bayern did give them a loan. It was not as if Bayern bailed them out. Mm. It was... Um, 
it was I think it was two million euros, and it was not not a sum that you know would have saved the club or, or anything. Yeah, um, just a help in hand. Yeah, sorry, we've got a cough here. I'm sorry, you can <laughs> just a help. <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Yeah, it's inter- it is interesting, of course, because the two clubs are now fierce rivals. And yeah, they also were fierce rivals at the time. Um, and also because Bayern at that time had any right in the world to be a little bit miffed about Dortmund. Mm-hmm. No, because they had signed, well, Z- Sebastian Kehl, who later became captain of Dortmund, he had signed an, an agreement with Bayern. Okay. You know, one of those... Um, like a those written, written things where he received money in return for, you know, pledging a signature to Bayern. And then he changed his mind. Then he gave back the money and joined Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Bayern were not happy about that. And a couple of years, years later, you know, <clears throat> uh, um, Dortmund then, by and large, asked Bayern for, you know, for a loan. So, which in effect was like they needed the money, you know, to pay the wages of the player they'd stolen from Bayern. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a bit you know, tense. Yeah, a bit cheeky. <laughs> uh, and, and Bayern would have any right, and would have had any right in the world to say no. But they're they're also, I mean, they're well. As you will know, there are very many people in Germany who have very, uh, very strong feelings about Bayern. Uh, but they are, or have been, uh, for the last last few decades, the sort of club that will help other clubs yeah. in need. Um, so they. They've had a lot of things like that. A lot of respect. So, obviously, I'm a massive Liverpool fan myself. been going to Anfield since I was little. And it's very clear that both Liverpool and Dortmund have this connection between not only the club, but the fans as well. You know, we both share You Never Walk Alone. Jurgen Klopp's been at both clubs. Um, I went to the match at Anfield in 2016 where we played each other in the Europa League. And You Never Walk Alone at full time was the best I've witnessed at Anfield. Um, but... The great thing I noticed was even though Dortmund got beat, they were still singing at the end of the game, you never walk alone. How do you as a Dortmund fan view the relationship between the two clubs? Um, well, first let me say that I'm not a big fan of you never walk alone. Actually, let me rephrase that. I'm not a big fan of the, you know, the fact that it's become you know, such a big song in Dortmund. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think... Um, I think it's a Liverpool song and, and I don't really think we should sing it. How did it come uh, about? How did Dortmund end up singing that? Is there a story behind uh, there was, there was it? Actually, it was a bit of a fad in the 90s. <clears throat> the story is actually, uh, the story is in the book, for instance. Uh, that, that's one of the stories that's in the book. Sort of story, which I think, you know, which is a good example for, for what the book is like. Yeah, yeah because it's, um, actually, this goes back to, to St. Pauli, actually. St. Pauli have a sort of fan friendship with Celtic. And um, St. Pauli fans went there. And, uh, you know, St. Pauli have these, 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 these punk rock roots. Mm. You know, uh, so, so after they went there, and I think, I think they brought with them a season review videotape. Uh, and You'll Never Walk Alone was not that. And then a German punk band picked that up and did a cover version of that. They started playing that at St. Pauli games. And it was around, that was in the 90s when, you know, when this big football boom started, when suddenly, you know, the hooligan years were over and then football became really, you know, fanzines sprang up and everything. And it was just picked up around the league and there were quite a few clubs who suddenly started playing You'll Never Walk Alone before the games. Um, But Dortmund were one of the clubs that had just stuck with it, you know. Although, although, um, um, uh, I was once at a, uh, at a, at a talk show, uh, a radio talk show, where an Arsenal fan said uh, that, that we, meeting Dortmund, should get a club song of our own. Uh, so I reminded him that it's not our club song, you know, unlike Liverpool. It's, I mean, when you go to a Dortmund game, um, you will notice that um, they, they play You'll Never Walk Alone at a certain point before the game. But it's not the song they play directly before kickoff. Right. That's they play a song called Here BFB, which goes back to the seventies. That's that's the club song. Mm. The, yeah, the relationship. I mean, I've always had a soft spot for Liverpool, and that's absolutely true. You know, it's it's uh, uh, <clears throat> um, 
for a number of reasons. I think mainly it's because, well, no, there's two reasons. One is, of course, that what is to this day still one of the most important games in club history uh, for Dortmund was against Liverpool in 1966 when Dortmund became the first German club to win a European trophy at Hampton Park against a um, uh, favourite Liverpool side, I have to say. <laughs> uh, Bill Shank is Liverpool. So that was from that point on, always, you know, you know, whenever I would read about Dortmund as a kid, um, that game would, you know, would come up and I, I would just remember that name, you, you know, Liverpool. Then, of course, the people of my generation, I mean, um, well, for instance, for my son, who was born in 1990, for him, I'm sorry to say that, but the big English club is Manchester United, you know, <laughs> because they were, you know, the big team when he grew up. Yeah. But for me, it was Liverpool, of course, because all, all through the 70s, and um, um, <clears throat> God, that makes me sound like an old man, which I, which I am, but, you know, you're probably sick of hearing things like that. But back then, you really couldn't watch a lot of football on television. You know, it was only during World Cups or um, during the later stages of the European, you know, the European Cup competitions. So Liverpool would be the one club I would see, you know, um, and, and, you know, and they were fantastic in the 70s. And it was really, you know, sh actually shocking sometimes to see, you know, how, um, you know, how, well, not easily, but, you know, they had these epic games against Gladbach, you know, and we thought Gladbach was, you know, um, amazing the team of the 70s in Germany. And then they would be, come up against Liverpool and everybody, you know, all those players in red, they would look like, you know, um, a lot taller, a lot stronger, a lot faster than all those Gladbach players. So, um, yeah. So that's my personal relationship with the Liverpool. Mm -hmm. I think in Dortmund, and I'm certain you'll bring that up in a minute or two. Uh, I think a lot of people in Dortmund found it very, very fitting that Klopp ended up at Liverpool because it was, there was, I don't know, it's not, there, there's some connection between the two clubs and maybe the two cities, I don't know, in a way, yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned Jurgen Klopp there, so I can't have you on the podcast without talking about him. So he's seen as a, as a god, basically, isn't he, in, in both our clubs. But before he joined Liverpool, did you ever feel that he would end up at Liverpool? And, you know, because from my perspective, when he came into <laughs> the club, I knew he would be a success. I didn't know necessarily that he would go on and win the Premier League, the European Cup, but I knew he would change where we were at that time. You know, he kind of, and you'll probably say yourself, he embodies everything that you want as a fan on that touchline for your club. Absolutely, though, to be honest, I wasn't that sure that he would be a success, mainly because, um, because language is so important to him. Mm. If, 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 if that makes sense to you, but he's one of those, um, when you talk to him, there's two things that stand out. One is that he's got this total attention, you know, he's, you know, very often when you talk to football people after about, I don't know, a minute or two, you know, their eyes will begin to wander and you, you, you know that you're losing them in a way, you know, but Klopp is not like that. He's always totally focused. And if you talk to him, you, you, you know, He's only talking to you. And the other thing, of course, is that, well, of course, is you know, in German, it was the amazing thing about him was that he always found a new way of saying something. He was, was a fantastic interviewee just because he had that knack, you know. He would, you know, like everybody else, he would say, you know, we look from game to game or whatever. But he, but he always said it in a different way. He never used the cliche. It was always... Um, he had a funny turn of phrase. Anyway, it was language was just mm. to me. I think it was very important to him. So, and I, I wasn't sure if he would make that transition. You know, in a language he that just isn't his own. You know, and then um, when was that? It wasn't last season. It was the season before that. And then I went to Liverpool, and um, um, I, I had an, um, to, to talk to him. And before that, there was a press conference after the game. And, uh, and he came in and it was exactly the way it had been in Germany. You know, he was cracking jokes and everybody was laughing. And it was, uh, I, was really, um, I was really astonished. I, I mean, well, it wasn't, of course, the same because he was speaking English, you know, but 
the way he interacted with people was exactly the way it had been in Germany. So that was very astonishing to see. But to answer your question, um, this is a true story. I have, I have um, witnesses. Um, I did a book with a friend of mine about Dortmund, which is an oral history book. Um, so we went and talked to fans from the 1940s uh, to the noughties, you know, um, fans from all decades and heard their stories. And then, you know, it's an oral history book. And when that came out, we did um, sort of promotional tours and we'll be interviewed and everything. And there was, um, there was a magazine that said they wanted to interview us both, my friend Gregor and me. And they would send us a, a, a list of questions. So this was October 2013. And the last question on the list was, which team is Jurgen Klopp going to coach in 2016-17? And my friend Gregor, he replied, uh, Borussia Dortmund or, any, or a foreign club. And then he made a remark about Bayern, you know, but if he really joins Bayern, you know, uh, he cracked a joke about taking a voodoo course. And then, I don't know, anyway, <laughs> my reply was Liverpool. That was all. Um, and, and the guy who did the interview actually phoned me up uh, a couple of years later when Klopp actually, you know, uh, signed for Liverpool. And he said, how did you know that? And I said, oh, I didn't. Of course, I didn't know that. And it just felt, you know, it was three or four years on. I don't know. I didn't. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it just sounded like a good match, if you know what I mean. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because the very first time I went to talk to him, um, I, I interviewed him for a Swedish magazine, actually. Okay. okay. There was a couple of months before he won the league with Dortmund, so that must have been early 2011. And we talked about, um, uh, we talked about why he joined Dortmund, you know? Uh, and he said, um, well, it had nothing to do with the money or anything. Then, he, then you know, Dortmund's press officer was saying, what's sitting next to us? And then Klopp turned to him and said, do you remember that the first time you sent me a contract offer, I wrote back and said, well, listen, guys, do you know that I'm making more money at Mainz in the second division now? Uh, and he said, yeah, that was, just, that was true. But, well, they fixed it. So it's not, it wasn't about money or anything. But he said, and then he went into one of those Klopp talks, you know. <laughs> he said that whenever he was a coach for Mainz at Dortmund, and then he started, you know, really, I would say, waxing poetically. He would say, like, he was standing on at the touchline, you know, before the game started, and he would look at the, at the south stand, you know, and he would hear people singing, and he would think, God, what a great place to coach football in, you know? Mm. Uh, not necessarily because it's about, you know, silverware or championships, you know, just to coach football for these people, you know? There's 80,000 here, fantastic, you know? Then he would talk, tell, tell me about, you know, how much uh, football meant to the Ruhr area, you know? And he said, yeah, well, he came from an area where, where, you know, he's born in Stuttgart, where football is important, but not the be all and end all. And he said, that he always wanted to coach a team in the Ruhr area, uh, just because everybody there lives and breathes football. Yeah. So now after that kind of talk, you know, when you think, oh, he's not, you know, he's not going to coach Paris Saint-Germain or whatever, you know? So at that time, maybe I just thought that Liverpool would that would be just a good match, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it feels almost like from the outside, it kind of feels when he was at Dortmund, he has to have this connection with the with the fans and and the club. And I know Man United tried to get him, and I think it was is it Ula? His wife said that she didn't have a good feeling about it, and it almost feels like if he doesn't have that connection with the fans, he can't succeed. He, need, he knows he needs to have that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe it's a, maybe, maybe another reason why I said Liverpool is because there, there are some similarities between Liverpool and Dortmund in terms of the situation they were in yeah. uh, when Klopp came. Because a lot of people think that, a lot of people think that Dortmund signed Klopp to win trophies, but that was not the point, you know. Of course, we we thought we're a big club, and we thought we're, you know, maybe a couple of years down the line we can challenge again. But you know, Dortmund were coming of financially very lean years, which is the main reason the team was so young and so cheap. 
But the big point was that everybody at the club felt that everything had gone a bit stale, you know, and that um, it, it wasn't necessarily about winning trophies, but about, you know, doing things in style and entertaining people. And um, we had a couple of very bad coaches, you know, uh, um, in terms of, you know, the football was, was not what people in Dortmund want, wanted to see. So, um, so and, and, and I talked to, to, um, to um, Aki Vatske, the chairman, about this uh, many years ago. And he said that whenever we played Mainz, whenever we, we played Klopp's team, we felt that God, we should beat these guys easily. But somehow it feels as if they've got an extra man on the pitch, you know? Mm. And, they, and actually what I would like for Dortmund is to play that sort of football. So that's why they got him, you know, to, to I don't know, to, to change things and then to, to shake up the club and, you know, a breath of fresh air. And he certainly, he certainly did that. Mm. So um, everything else was just more or less on top. So I do keep a close eye on Dortmund results because I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. So having Bayern Munich in your league, winning the league most years must be so frustrating for yourselves. What do you feel <clears throat> needs to be the main difference um, for Dortmund to go on to win the Bundesliga and, and kind of knock Bayern Munich off their perch, as it were? Ah, that's difficult, of course. I mean, it, it, yes, it is frustrating, but... <clears throat> I mean, probably, probably very young fans may feel differently about it, but I think the, the vast majority of Dortmund fans still think that, you know, it's not, you know, we don't take winning championships or, or, or trophies for granted. Yeah. You know, um, it's still not as, you know, now we are the second most successful club in Germany, but it's not as if, we, we, we feel we have to win the league this year. So it's not frustrating in the sense that, you know, we always end up uh, 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 usually one place behind Bayern. It's more frustrating in the sense that um, that a bit of excitement in the league has gone out of the league and that um, it's more a sense of general frustration, you know, not just Dortmund frustration. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's like a like a one horse race, really. <coughs> so it's very much like a one horse race. Like the French leagues, like that as well, isn't it? And Italy's been like that as well. So it's more of a the whole Bundesliga perspective. Yeah, but but speaking speaking for Dublin, I mean, it was very close two years ago. They actually should have won the league two years ago. You know, we we held a nine point lead over Bayern at one point, and uh, <clears throat> then it basically came down to the, to the derby. Uh, where we took a one 0 lead and then lose the game and had two players sent off. You know, if, if we won that, they would have won the league. Um, yeah. And a similar thing happened last year, not, not quite as dramatic, but um, Dortmund seemed to be doing quite well for a while. So, so there is the feeling that it's really, I mean, it, it's not out of the club's reach, certainly not. You know, and it's not like it's impossible to, to, to win the league. Um, but the one thing, of course, is... Well, no, I think there's two things. One thing, of course, is, is just the money. I mean, Dortmund are, are a very rich club by German standards, so, which, which is a problem for the league because we now have too many divisions in the league, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, Bayern are financially far ahead of Dortmund, but then Dortmund are financially far ahead of most other clubs, you know, almost yeah. all other clubs. So that, that's... Um, that, that's a problem um, that... Uh, it's really hard, you know, there's, um, for instance, some people think it, it's, um, for instance, some, a lot of people point towards the Premier League and, and say that it's different than the Premier League. Um, and then um, the explanation is that, um, you know, we don't have owners, or, you know, we don't have club owners, you know, our clubs are not owned by businessmen or by companies, you know. Um, which is known as the 50 plus one rule. And yeah. there is a theory that says that no club is, is happier about the 50 plus one rule than Bayern Munich uh, because it's, it sort of cements their, their status, you know. But then again, the vast majority of German fans are all for the 50 plus one rule. So, so it's not as if, you know, we really want to, you know, change the system and allow sponsors or investors <clears throat> into, into the Bundesliga. Um, 
the other thing is that, you know, I really blame, I blame it all on Pep Guardiola. Uh, because un until 2013, um, it was the normal story. I mean, the Bundesliga is a strange league in that, <clears throat> unlike most other leagues, it has never really produced a small number of, you know, clubs that are always there or thereabouts. So the story of the Bundesliga for, for most of its existence has been that there's Bayern Munich and one other club. And this other club usually changes. Um, <clears throat> and for a while, for a very long time, this was perfectly okay. Because Bayern, Bayern were, um, you know, they were mere models. Uh, uh, for, you know, I mean, clubs like Stuttgart and Wolfsburg won the league, you know, not, not that long ago. Mm. And it's because Bayern would, they, they would dominate for a couple of years. And they, then they would have off years, you know, like you do, like normal people do. You know, yeah. they concentrate on the Champions League or whatever, or they have a couple of injury problems or whatever. And then somebody else wins the league. Uh, and that sort of, that stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it's probably a coincidence that it stopped with Pep Guardiola. But ever since 2013, Bayern have become this, this bizarre juggernaut. I mean, it's, um, it's, um, it's really uncanny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so finally, the podcast is centered around going the match. So with every podcast we're doing, I want to end by asking what are your top three favorite matches you've been to? It doesn't oh, have to be okay. based on the 90 minutes itself. It can be based on something that happened during the day or for whatever reason. Oh, this is a tough one. <laughs> um... In no particular order. <laughs> Dortmund games or? Dortmund. <clears throat> so Dortmund, oh, okay. That makes it even tougher because, because I was going to say, I was going to say Salford City against Stockport County <laughs> in, the National, in the National League North in March 2017. Really? <laughs> yeah, because uh, it was unforgettable because um, I went there for the magazine. Okay. Because you will know that Salford City are the club owned by the class of 92 and uh, they were... Um, you know, they were then still in the National League North and um, we thought we should do a story about them. And then, uh, so I contacted the club and they said, yes, come over. And, and I said, well, can I talk to anybody? Can I talk to one of the owners, you know? And they said, yeah, we hope that Gary Neville will be there. He's, he often is there. Uh, I hope he will be there on the day. And if he is, you can talk to him. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I traveled to Manchester and it was very, very rainy and very, very cold. Very, very unpleasant. Just like Manchester. And then, stood, <laughs> and then I stood on this, you know, makeshift new stand that they had. And then suddenly Gary Neville comes up to me. And he said, uh, well, listen, uh, we, we can talk in halftime and after the game, but let's just watch the game now because, you know, it's my club and I'm really into it. Okay. And I said, okay, yeah. So we watched the game together. And yeah. after a while, I noticed that he, had, that he had two friends with him. So... Standing on my right was Gary Neville, and standing on my left was Ryan Giggs, and standing behind us was Dimitar Babichov. Oh, wow, that's incredible! <laughs> so, and we were watching a game in the National League North. Uh, it was, I don't know, it was like, I, well, I think you can imagine that it was a very unusual experience and very funny because Ryan Giggs is a very funny man. And, and Gary Neville was very, very excited. You know, he was, <laughs> he was really, you know, like a normal fan, you know, like I would be when I'm watching Dortmund, you know. He was convinced that, you know, they, they would be hit on the break. And of course they were hit on the break. And he was, it was, it was a great afternoon. I'll give okay. you I'll give Okay, you. but you said, no, no, yeah, you said Dortmund games. Okay, <laughs> it's um, um, one game I always remember is for, a very specific reason is we were playing Roma in the UEFA Cup. And it was the quarterfinal of the UEFA Cup in, uh, in March 1993. Uh, that was, was after we'd won the Cup in 89, which was sort of the start of the club's renaissance. But it was before, you know, we won all those league titles and the Champions League. So it was, it was still a very young, fairly cheap team. And, uh, uh, and they were on their way to reaching the UEFA Cup finals against Juventus, which was really a really big thing and, and totally unexpected. So, and we'd lost the first leg away at Roma, 1-0. Uh, 
And before the second leg, I broke my foot. I broke a foot and my foot was in plaster. And for some reason, it never occurred to me that it could be kind of difficult to go onto the south stand, you know, on crutches and, you know, with your foot in plaster. It, I, I really thought, you know, okay, my foot is broken, but that's all, you know, we're playing on, on it's probably a Wednesday evening, so I'm going to the game. So I went to the game and it was only when I was standing, actually was standing in front of the stand that it suddenly occurred to me, oh, how do I get up there? You know, how do I actually get to my, you know, to place? And it could be really, it could be really, really crowded, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was so crowded that I couldn't, you know, I was standing not, you know, um, how do you say that? Not facing the pitch, but sideways, yeah. you know? It was so crowded, I had to stand sideways and watch over my shoulder, you know, and on crutches. And I still remember when we scored the second goal, of course, you know, I, I, I lost my crutches and everything. I fell down. <laughs> people picked me up again. It was that kind of game. It was really amazing. Um, so that's one of the games I always remember. Um, I know. Another one, another one which might come as a bit of a surprise is um, I went to a preseason game in uh, 2010. Uh, and I did that for When Saturday Comes. Um, they have a series called More Than a Game. And, and it was between Dortmund and Manchester City. Okay. And um, there was, you know, we, Klopp had been coaching Dortmund for two years. And we, we knew we were getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was clearly a sense of improvement. But, but that was all, you know, we're just getting better. Maybe, I think most of us thought that maybe that season we would, you know, if we were really lucky, we'd get into the UEFA Cup or the Europa League. Uh, so, we, so I went to the game. It was a preseason friendly, as I said. Man City had just signed. I remember that the, the bench was too small for Man City. They, they just signed a couple of players and they had so many players that they couldn't all sit down on the bench. You know? um, so, and, then, and the game starts. And of course, we knew that Man City had spent an awful lot of money on their players. And they were really, really good. In Dortmund, we were just you know, running rings around them. Uh, you know, Dortmund were really, really good and winning easily 3-1. And the best player on the pitch was Kagawa, you know, who we just signed for 350,000 euros or whatever. Uh, and he was amazing. So and I think everybody at the, everybody, uh, at the ground thought, God, are we, are we, are we really that good? Mm. Or, or, you know, or is it just a preseason friendly and, you yeah. know, Man City, they probably haven't had proper training sessions or whatever to think. But then the season starts and, it turned out we really were that good. You know, it was uh, Klopp's gigging pressing system and, and the other teams just didn't know how to, how to cope with that. Um, and uh, we basically ran away with the league. Uh, so that's two. Well, the third one is um, what most people, well, all the, all, almost everything we talked about today goes back to a game um, in 1986. Because... In 1986, we, we didn't have a lot of money, you know. Uh, the club were yeah. in severe danger of going bankrupt, not for the first time and not for the last time. And uh, <clears throat> although, although the team was quite good and quite expensive, which was one of the reasons for the financial problems, um, we, we just were fighting relegation all season long. And we ended up in 16th place. And at that time, there was a relegation promotion system in place. So we, Dortmund, you know, the third worst team in the Bundesliga, played uh, the third best team from the second Bundesliga. And it was Fortuna Cologne. Uh, Fortuna Cologne was it at the time. And the first leg was away at Cologne. And I, I didn't go there, but my brother went, of course. He went everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he said, we're going down. You know, we lost 2-0, could have been 4-0. We're just rubbish. We're going down. So then it's the second game. The, the away goals rule didn't, you know, they, um, there was no away goals rule. So we had, you know, lose by one goal. Um, no, win by one goal, we're going down. Um, win by three goals, we stay up. And win by two goals, there will be a third game at a neutral ground, you know. So in half time we were trailing 1-0. So, so we now needed three, three goals. And the second half of that game was still... Uh, probably the defining moment for the, for the modern Borussia Dortmund. Because if we'd gone down, 
we might not have come back, you know. Mm. Um, the entire team would have been dismantled, you know, there was no money. And, or maybe if we'd come back, it would have been, you know, five or six years later or whatever. Um, and then we scored two goals. And then it was, just, um, it was just the most amazing final 10 minutes I've ever seen. You know, there was one corner after the other. But, um, and, and Fortuna Cologne, they were actually, you could actually, you know, sometimes you sense that when you're, when you're on the stand that they were just totally naked. You know, they were impossible. You know, there, were, there weren't even any, 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 um, any, any counterattacks, you know. They were just belting the ball away and hoping, you know, the clock would run down. Yeah. And then we, we, we actually, we scored the third goal with the last kick of the game. You know, it was, um, it was the 90th minute and uh, we scored the third goal and uh, there's, there's a pitch invasion. You know, immediately after the goal, well, not only immediately after the goal, but, you know, um, all the Cologne players, they fell to the ground, you know, uh, and after the celebrations, and um, the referee ended the game. And immediately there was a pitch invasion and people started carrying the president away and everything. And it was, but we hadn't even stayed up, you know, it was just, we just forced the third game. But everyone felt that, you know, after this game, uh, everything's going to change, you know, we're never going to lose the the third game, you know. And um, so it was, um, yeah. Well, as you can imagine, you know, it's, it's um, people, people in front of me, I used, I used that moment um, because in my book, because the young Lars Ricken uh, was standing um, at, at, he was watching the game, you know, um, um, standing directly behind the goal um, um, on, on the ground level where, where Dortmund scored that goal. And, and you know, and, and 11 years later, he scores the winning goal in the Champions League final, you know, which is, which is uh, amazing and to this day very hard to believe. That's an amazing story. So uh, that's a fantastic way to finish there. So before you go, I just want to say a massive thank you for giving up your time and coming on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure, sure. No, as I said, it was my pleasure. No problem. Thank I you. I enjoyed it. <laughs> if you haven't already, please subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave a five-star rating.